Jesus is the life and the light who gives all who believe the right to become children of God, recipients of grace upon grace. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Well, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday, but now that we have celebrated Thanksgiving, you know what that means, right? That the Christmas season is upon us, and you know what the Christmas season means. That's right, all those silly Hallmark Christmas movies are on their way once again, but uh, I suppose there is that. But it also means lights and trees and parties and gifts and family gatherings and, of course, watching our favorite Christmas movies like Die Hard, for example, right? (laughs) But most importantly, it means that we are celebrating the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For our sermon series this uh, year, I decided to revisit an approach to the season that we had looked at many years ago, and that is looking at the Christmas story through the perspectives of four different biblical authors, through John and Luke and Matthew and Paul. And by way of introduction to our series, then, we see that the Apostle John told us that the world could not contain all the books that could be written about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you imagine that? You know, with what we have in the scriptures, there is so much there, so much there is a lifetime of things in there for us to study and reflect upon and learn and know our Savior better and better. And yet it was just such a small portion of all that Jesus said and did. Can you imagine how many books could be written about that? John said, why, the, even the world couldn't contain them all. Because Jesus is unique. He is the unique God-man. And he is at the center of human history. His victory over sin and death is the greatest accomplishment, achievement in history. The forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life through faith in him, is the greatest gift that has ever been given. And so as we come together here today and in the weeks ahead, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate his coming. Let's give thanks for him, and let's consider again this story of his first coming. Now, why do I say his first coming? Because he's coming again, isn't he? But in his first coming, he came as a humble servant to save us, to redeem us from sin and death. And so we'll be looking at this Christmas story, his first coming, from the perspective then of these four biblical writers of John and Luke, Matthew, and Paul. For today, then, we're looking at Christmas according to John. Our text is going to be in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And here is the key thought that I want us to take away from the message today. And that is that Jesus is the life and the light who gives all who believe the right to become children of God, recipients of grace upon grace. He's life. He's light. Through him, we become children of God through faith in him. And then he pours out abundantly on us grace upon grace. Let's look at John chapter 1, starting with the first five verses. 
John speaking there, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here then we see the word. The word is how many of you know you've probably, if you've heard this before, that, that word that we translate with the word there is that Greek word what? Logos, the logos. And what did that mean? Well, the logos means that Jesus was the logos, that is, he was the very expression of God. Now, John and the Holy Spirit chose this word, word, logos, very carefully because it would have great meaning to both a Jewish audience and to a Gentile audience, that this word was logos, was packed with great meaning to both Jews and Gentiles. To the Jews, the word logos, the word of God, meant the very revelation or expression of God. In the Old Testament, we see how often it says what? That the word of God, the word of the Lord, his message was communicated through the prophets. Thus saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, the prophet says, right? And so to the Jews, the word of the Lord was the expression of God. It was the revelation of God's thoughts, of God's mind. There was the written word, that we have, we have that in the Old Testament, that they would know this as the written word, but there was also the spoken word through the prophets. As we looked at in our class here earlier this morning, said of all the prophets, when we think of the prophets, it was not simply uh, the ones that we have in our Old Testament books there as prophets. There were many prophets. Not all prophets wrote. There were other prophets who did not write. We do not have that in the scriptures. But nevertheless, they would speak, and they would speak forth the word of God. So Jesus, then, is the very expression of God. Now, in Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God has taken on human flesh. And there is no greater revelation of God, then, to us than God himself, the Son of God. We looked again in our class, we said that Peter, speaking of the Word, how the people of old received the Word of God, but now we have received a greater Revelation, that is the, the incarnate word of God who has come to us. And as Peter says, what? And we would do well to pay attention, right? You know, we would do well to pay attention to God's word because God has said it here. But if it's now God in the flesh standing before you, we would especially do well to pay attention to him, wouldn't we? So there is no greater, greater revelation than the Logos, The word of God made flesh. Now for the Gentiles, though, that word also had meaning to them, but it had philosophical undertones as it was used. And I found this one. I thought this was a a great definition of how that word would have been understood to Gentiles in that day. 
Here is the definition, and I want you to listen to this carefully and see, ah, that's why the Holy Spirit used that word, logos, then. Listen to this. To the Greek thought, logos was a principle originating in classical Greek thought which refers to a universal divine reason, imminent in nature, involved in nature, yet transcending it, above it all though, transcending all oppositions and imperfections in the cosmos and humanity. It is an eternal and unchanging truth, present from the time of creation, available to every individual who seeks it. Isn't that interesting? This is a secular glossary of philosophical terms describing what that word logos meant philosophically. A universal divine reason, imminent in nature, yet transcending all oppositions and imperfections in the cosmos and humanity, an eternal and unchanging truth present from the time of creation, available to every individual who seeks it. Amazing, isn't it? So in that one word, logos, we have the very expression of God and the eternal universal truth present from the time of creation that is available to every individual who seeks it. But now we're told that in the beginning was the word, the logos. But this logos then took on human flesh, became human, and is now offered to every person everywhere. We're told then that the word was in the beginning, was with God, and in fact was God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word, the Logos, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, was in the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of all creation, all created things, the beginning of space and time, all things that were made. He was there in the beginning because He is eternal. In one sense, Jesus, the son of the, Jesus, had a beginning, didn't he? In Bethlehem, when he took on human flesh. But Jesus, the Son of God, he has no beginning. He is eternal, isn't he? The Son of God is eternal. So he was in the beginning, and he was with God. Now, when we say that he was with God here, the word with here has the meaning or the picture of being in company with, that is, in relationship with, a comfortable relationship, in company with, that is, the Son of God has a relationship of eternal company or eternal fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit in the Trinity. So the Word was in the beginning, He's eternal, He was with God, and He was was God. And again, how can you be both with God and be God? Because God is triune, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
So the Son, the Word, has fellowship with God, in company with God, and He is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Word created all things. He was life, and He was light. We're told all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, the the Word of God, the Logos, He was not merely present at the beginning of the creation. In fact, He is the very agent of creation. You ever think about that? We know that what God created all things, didn't He? God is the creator of all things, all things that were made. He is eternal. He is the unmade one. He has always existed, right? And he made all things. Everything that has a beginning, he made it. And when we think of God the creator, we tend to think of God the Father. And yes, God is the Father. He is creator. But what the Son of God was the agent through whom the creation mandate was carried out. So the word of God is not merely present, but he carried out the work of creation. The father decreed and the son carried that work out. All creation was made by the word in relation with the father and the spirit. Some have suggested that the the son, well, the son of God was the first thing God created. Well, what does the text tell us there? What does it say? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Son was not made. He is eternal. He's God. He made all things. He was life. Now, what is this life that he is, that he is life? Well, certainly he is physical life, isn't he? Physical life, physical existence, things would not exist Things would not be alive if he had not given it life, brought it to life. So there's physical life. He is the origin of all physical life. Everything that has lived, is living now, and ever will live has its life in him and through him and by him. But there's something a little deeper here, though, I think that John is getting at. is He is not just physical life. He is also what? Spiritual life, spiritual life. Now, what is, the, what is the difference then between just physical life and spiritual life? Well, they both are existence, right? But it's a quality of existence, a quality of life. That all people have physical life, but not everyone has spiritual life. See, spiritual life is a quality of life, of existence, that far transcends physical life. It's eternal life. It's a quality or a state of being forever blessed in the presence of God. That is life. Spiritual life, a quality of life, being in the presence of God, forever the object of his love and favor and grace. 
That's a lot different and a lot better than just existing forever and ever, isn't it? So when we say we have eternal life, we don't mean where we're going to exist forever and ever. That is true. But that's not the spiritual life we're talking about. The spiritual life we've been given is what? Yes, we will exist forever and ever, but we will exist in a state of blessing and favor and love with God forever and ever. That is spiritual life. A quality of life. Blessedness. So he was life, physical life, spiritual life. And he was light. He was light. Now, certainly he is the origin. I see we've got some beautiful lights up here, and we're going to be seeing a lot more lights through this Christmas season, aren't we? And he certainly is the origin of physical light, isn't he? But that's not physical light that we're talking about here. We're talking about what? A spiritual light. Again, how is that different? Well, spiritual light is a reference, what, to moral light, righteousness, goodness, holiness, as opposed to darkness, which again is not just a physical darkness, but darkness in Scripture is, but it's moral, it's death, it's sin, it's ignorance, it's separation from God, separation from God's blessing and favor. So Jesus is the life, physical, spiritual. He is the light, moral light, truth, understanding, knowledge, all of these things. He is the light, the spiritual light. And in fact, he is the light of men that he shines in the darkness. As we go through this life in ignorance and sin and rebellion, he is the light that shines in that darkness, that he is truth, he's understanding, he's moral goodness and holiness. He's the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness of men, of death, of sin, of ignorance, of separation from God. But the darkness has not overcome it. You ever feel sometimes like the, the, the darkness is winning in the world? It seems that way, doesn't it? Seems like the darkness is winning, but it's not. It is not overcome. And in fact, what the light, God's truth, God's holiness, God's righteousness will prevail over the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There are times when it looks like it has or it does. Can you think of a moment in history when it appeared like the darkness had conquered, had won? At the cross. Here's the Son of God on the cross, painfully, shamefully dying and being buried in a grave. Darkness has won. But actually, it was through that moment that victory was achieved, wasn't it? So it looks sometimes like dark, the darkness is winning, but it isn't. Christ has overcome. He has and will overcome all darkness, all opposition, 
to God and God's rule. The darkness has not and will not overcome. Christ has overcome it all. We're told next then that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." So the word was witnessed by John. He was not known by the world. He was rejected by his own, but he gave the right to become children of God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is not John the Apostle, who is the human author of this book. This is who? John the, John the Baptist here, who was the forerunner of the Messiah, the prophet. And so John the Baptist, he was the forerunner to the Messiah who would announce the arrival of Messiah. And he was a witness. He was a witness in the sense of what? He saw. When you witness, you see something. But he was a witness, though, too, in that he spoke forth then what he saw. He was a witness who witnessed and therefore witnessed about him, right? So... He was a witness who witnessed to the identity of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. Messiah is what? A savior, a redeemer, Christ, the anointed one, same thing, the savior, the redeemer. Jesus was his human name. Christ was his title, right? The Messiah, the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the anointed one who had come to save people from their sins. We're told John was not the light, but he bore witness to the light. Some people were coming to John and said, we want to come and see and hear this great prophet. But he wasn't the one. He's not the light. He was merely pointing people to the light. Just like you and I, the, the church... Said, so, well, the church is the light of the world. Well, no, the church is the light of the world in the sense that what? We reflect the true light and we witness to the true light. The true light of the world is Jesus, right? And we're called to reflect or announce the true light to the world. So the true light, Jesus, created the world, and yet the world did not recognize him as their creator. There's a Great sense of of irony here, isn't there, in this? That Jesus is the creator. He made all things. And then he comes into the world, and the world doesn't recognize its own creator. But not only did the people of the world not recognize their creator, says he also, he came to his own. Who were his own? The Jews, his people. Jesus was Jewish. And he came to his Jewish family 
as the Messiah, but they did not receive him either. They did not recognize him either as Messiah. Now, some did, some did, but many did not. But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, what does it mean to receive him? Well, we don't have to guess what it means to receive him because we're told right there in the text. To receive him means to do what? To believe. What is receiving him? It's believing in him. So to those who received him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. And of course, in the scriptures, when you say belief, it's not what? It's not simply something in the mind, an intellectual assent, or saying, yep, I think that's true. That's part of it. But it's in the heart. It's from the fullness of the person. It's a receiving. It is a believing. And it's a trust into this person, Jesus Christ. Turning away from self-reliance, confidence in our own abilities, our own works, and putting our confidence in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did for us to redeem us, to save us from ourselves to save us from sin and death. So all of those who believed in him, who transferred their trust, I've heard it expressed that way before, who've transferred their trust from themselves or other things to Christ, he gives the right to become children of God. And a child of God then, who is born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God, that it is a spiritual birth. That we become children of God through believing in him and we are then born into God's family as his child. It's a spiritual birth, being born from above, born again, born from above, spiritually born into his family through faith then. Finally then we're told, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so here we see that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that he is glorious, full of grace and truth, that he has given us grace upon grace, and that he has made God known. The word became flesh, that is, he was made human. Now, that doesn't just mean he took on a human body. There's more to it than that. Now, he did take on a human body, but what? He was made human in every way that it means to be human. He was made human. He joined humanity to himself, becoming human He added humanity to himself, and he is the unique God-man. 
Did he stop being God when he took on humanity? No. Because he is human, does that mean he is not God? No. Because he is God, does that mean he is not human, though? No, he is God and man. Fully God, truly God, fully man, truly man. But he was without sin. Well, wait a minute. How could he become truly human if he didn't have a sin nature? Isn't that, doesn't that mean, doesn't being human mean, mean having a sin nature and doing sinful things? Well, now it does. But it didn't always, did it? Having a sin nature is something we have all we all have and we're born with. We inherited that. But the first humans didn't have a sin nature, did they? They fell into sin. Their nature was corrupted by sin. And so Jesus did not have a sin nature. He was not corrupted. It says he dwelt among us. That is what he, dwelling is, is not just that he was physically present, but what he, he came into our lives, our experience, and lived here among us, dwelling among us, with us. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth, and we have received grace upon grace. I love that, that expression there. We've talked about this before, and we're going to be looking at it in just a little bit here too. But this picture of grace upon grace is like a picture of waves on the ocean. How many of you have been to the ocean you know, and stood there, right? Uh, actually, you can even get a, if you've never been to the ocean, you can get a good, good taste of it. Lake Michigan, you know, go to Lake Michigan. You can get a little taste of the ocean from Lake Michigan. Uh, probably if you go to Wonder Lake, you're not going to get the same effect there in Wonder Lake, probably. You might a little bit, actually. You get some waves there in Wonder Lake. But Lake Michigan, you really get what? You see these waves upon waves, and certainly at the ocean, just wave after wave coming ashore, coming and crashing and going out. Here comes another wave crashing and going out. Up, oh, here comes another wave. Do those waves ever stay? Just keep coming and coming, right? And that is the picture here of God's grace. God's grace is what? His, his favor, his goodness, his blessing to undeserving people like me and you, all of us. And that goodness, it just keeps coming to us again and again and again. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Grace, through him we have received grace upon grace. The law came through Moses. The law is the revelation of God's righteous word, his, his, his holiness, what he demands, what he requires but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Can the law of God save us? No, in fact, all it does is condemn us. It shows us our sinfulness. We need grace. We need the law to know the truth about ourselves, but the law can't save us. It only condemns. So we needed the grace of God and a Savior to deliver us from God's own righteous requirements in the law. Grace and truth came through Jesus no one has seen God. Why? Because God is spirit. You can't see a spirit. But God took on flesh, and he has revealed him. He has made him known supremely then. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. You say, so what? What do you want me to do with this? Well, I want to remind us 
where we started here, that Jesus is the life and the light who gives all who believe the right to become children of God, recipients of grace upon grace. So I'll ask as we're celebrating Christmas, you know what? All of us, we, we love the things that go along with Christmas, don't we, with the lights and the trees and the gifts and the get-togethers and all that sort of thing. But if that's all Christmas is, we're missing it, aren't we? Christmas is ultimately and supremely about Jesus Christ, the Savior, and the life, eternal life, that he gives us through faith in him. So don't celebrate Christmas this year without Jesus because that's the true celebration. He is the true celebration, isn't he? So I'd ask you first then, are you, are you a child of God? See, through Jesus, you can have that gift of eternal life, eternal blessing and flavor, forgiveness of sin. Our moral rebellion against God is forgiven in him through his death on the cross for our sin, when he took the judgment or the punishment for our sin upon himself. And then he gives us the gift of life in his name by receiving him, believing in him, putting our trust in him and what he did, turning in faith to him. And we are then, scripture says, we are born from above. Born again, born above, from above into God's family. How are you born into your physical family? Through physical birth. How are we born into God's family, spiritual family? Through spiritual birth, which is believing in Jesus and becoming new, a new life in him. Are you a child of God through faith, belief in him? I know many of us here, we are children of God. We have believed in him. And I'm so thankful that God's grace was not something that was poured out once, never to be seen again. But it is grace upon grace, those ocean waves that continue and continue. And I wonder, do you need grace today? Do you need God's grace today? I do. I want to put something, a video up here to get us to think in terms of God's grace, how God's favor and his love and his blessing never stops, continues, continues. And maybe you need that today. Let's listen for a little bit. God's grace coming upon you again and again. Maybe somebody here, maybe you're struggling with a painful past, and it's something that you just can't seem to escape, <laughs> and you need God's grace again and again. Maybe there's something that you have sinned in some way, and you're struggling with guilt 
and you need God's cleansing, God's forgiveness. You wonder, can I come to God again? Maybe there's a sin you're struggling with. You think, can I come to God again with that? And the answer is, yes, you can. Because he pours out grace upon grace. There's no limit to the cleansing power of Christ's blood. Maybe there's a situation you're worried about, you're afraid, a broken relationship, some bad news you've received in a family, maybe it's a bad medical news, or maybe you're afraid of something, fearful of the future. Whatever it might be, I just want to encourage and remind us all that God's grace never stops. It keeps coming again and again and again. So as we celebrate Christmas this year, when you see the lights on the tree, think of the light of the world. When you see a nativity scene of that baby in the manger, remember that baby grew up and became our Savior, that we might be born spiritually into his family. As you exchange gifts with one another, make sure you receive God's gift to you first of eternal life in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of righteousness, perfect righteousness, eternal life, the resurrection of the body, heavenly reward, a new earth. You are making all things new. And all of this because you came, Lord Jesus You put aside the power and the glory that were rightly due to you and the honor. And you came into this world and humbled yourself, became flesh. You grew up, you lived a life of perfect faith and obedience to your own holy law. And then you willingly went to the cross and died for our sins. You were buried and you rose again in triumph that we might follow you in victory receive that gift of perfection in you, be forgiven of our sins, be given the gift of life, and have the hope of the resurrection. We thank you for that, and I pray that this Christmas season, Lord, that it will not just be about trees and lights and presents, but it will be like the ultimate gift, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.